Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. What's up, church? How we doing? That good? Fantastic. One fantastic. Anyone else want to double down on that fantastic? Hey, uh, my name's Austin, and I get to open the word with you today. We're going to continue on this series that we started last week that we're calling Established. And Established was the word I feel like the Lord gave us for our church, some direction for us. And uh, last week, we got probably the most important thing established off the get-go, and that is that Jesus is the head of the church. We want to keep Jesus at the center. Anything that happens that's good, anything that where he takes us that's uncomfortable or difficult, it's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about him, right? And so that's what we established last week is who God has established himself as towards his church. And today what I want to look at is who now God has established us as. Because there's an identity that's rooted in who Jesus has said we are. And so that's what we're going to unpack today. Uh, but again, my hope in this series is that, yes, as a church and as a body, we would glean and gather good things from this word established. And we are going to look at d- deep biblical principles in each of these weeks. Uh, but my hope is also just as much that you would take something home for yourself and that God would establish something in you personally. That each of you would kind of seek that word out and say, okay, God, what do you want to establish in me this year? What do you want to establish my family on or, or who I am as a person what are rhythms and practices that I need to establish? Maybe there's, a, maybe there's an old wound that God wants to establish a new healing in this year. Maybe there's something that's just been going on that you can't break free from and God wants to establish you on the rock this year, establish you on him. And so I don't, I don't know what it's gonna be, but I think for all of us, what we need to do is we need to seek the Lord and see what does he have for us in that word. And today, uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump in, like I said, and we're gonna look at who our identity is because of what Christ has done. And so um, how many of y'all are on a Bible reading plan? Bible reading plan, start of 2020, you got on a new Bible. Come on, you don't have to be embarrassed. Raise your hand like you know. Okay, Um, I just started a Bible reading plan. I'm doing it in the Read Scripture app. And I don't know if you've heard of that app. This is a shameless plug for that app. They're not the paid sponsor for the message today. I just thought I'd plug them because what I like about it is that they have these really creative videos that lead you into that, the reading that you're in right now. So they do these videos that kind of help connect some of the dots. What I don't love about it is that it goes straight through the Bible. Do you know what I mean? How some of your reading plans, you're like, ah, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverb, maybe. This one is just, it is just straight through. And so uh, check it out. I'd encourage you to check it out. There's a lot of just good stuff in the videos, but just know before you get into it, if you try it out, Read Scripture is the app. You can download it. Um, that it is just, it is just, man, right, right through the Bible. No break. So um, I was reading through the app and I realized actually through my reading plan that the first time that the word established shows up in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. It's in Genesis chapter 17. So you can flip there if you'd like. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's going to be on the screen. But Genesis 17 verse 1. If you have been to a VBS before, you have heard this portion of scripture. I promise you. And if you haven't, that's okay. We're going to check it out today. It says... When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. 
For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God, to be God and to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So God picks this guy named Abram. You maybe know the story and his body is as, as good as dead, right? That's, his, like, that's, that's what it says about him. His body is as good as dead. He's so old, no kids. And God makes this really, really bold promise that he's gonna bless this guy. He's gonna bless the whole worth, the whole world through this one man's offspring. And the nature of covenant in the Old Testament is this, is this uh, really kind of legal language, right? And within the language, it's saying that God has, is extending promises He's extending himself to his people in exchange for their obedience to him. And there's, ma there's four major covenants that we see that people enter into in the Old Testament. This would be the first, well, not the first one, but we have Noah, the first one where God floods the entire earth and God makes a covenant that he will never flood the earth again. And the sign of that covenant is the rainbow, right? Praise God for that covenant. Like who's, I'm just thankful that God's not gonna do that again. Uh, this is the second one. We have the third one. We have the nation of Israel entering into a covenant relationship with God at Mount Sinai and, and the law is given, right? We also have King David entering into a covenant relationship with God. And, and in all of those covenants, there's one common theme is that God is extending promises to men. God is extending his promises to us humans on earth in exchange for our faithfulness to him. And the common denominator is that while we are never perfectly faithful to hold up our end of the deal of that covenant, God always is. Amen? God is always faithful, even when we are faithless. And so what God is establishing here is he's establishing a people. He's, he's establishing his plan to, to bless the whole world through this one guy. And so um, let's jump into it today. Um, we're going to first start off by talking about how, um, like, there's such legal language in this. And, and me personally, like I have not spent a lot of time in court. So let's just kind of get this out of the way, right off the front end, okay? This is a good thing for you guys to know. Haven't spent a lot of time in front of a judge, haven't spent a lot of time in a courtroom. Uh, but recently I was in court and I was watching a civil trial. And for the few hours I was there watching this trial kind of unfold, you know what I never thought to myself? Man, that judge, he just really seems like a fun guy. <laughs> Like it never just occurred to me, like, you know what? I bet, I bet he's, I bet he could really cut loose and have some fun on the weekends. Like it just never crossed my mind. Like even the way he would talk is so like, it's so calculated and cold really. Like it's just all this legal language and just not a lot of fun there, you know? And, and, and so like, fortunately, I, I've never sat in the seat where my, where there was a case being tried against me and I was having to make my case in front of a judge because the like shocking reality when you're sitting in front of a judge is, is what he says goes, right? Like there is a sense of finality when that gavel hits the desk and he declares you're either not guilty or guilty there. The time for discussion has, is, is over. It's ended, right? And what he says is what's going to happen. And, and, and so I did actually get to sit down with a friend who was his, in the middle of a trial. And I, I had dinner with this person this week and they were talking about how in a few weeks they're gonna have to go and they're gonna have to sit in front of the judge. And, and this person was kind of saying, hey, it's just crazy. I'm gonna walk into this room and this judge is, has weighed my case, 
right? The witnesses have given their testimony. The evidence has been submitted and the judge has everything he needs and he's going to decide whether this person is guilty or not guilty. And the statement that my friend made was, um, my life is in his hands, right? And, there, and there's a weightiness to that. There's a reality to that, that, that the judge has the ability. I mean, he holds your future in his hands, right? And our God in, in our faith is described as many things for sure. A, a judge is one of those things. A judge, he's, he's described as a judge. I'll read this verse out of Psalm, out of, um, Psalm 9. We don't have a slide for it, but it says, but the Lord sits enthroned forever he has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. And so we have our God and, and, and the problem is, is that our God, it, he doesn't just hold all the power to decide eternally what our verdict is. He does hold that, but he also knows everything. That's the bigger problem, right? Is that he knows everything. And he doesn't just know it in the sense of time as in he knows what's happening in the present. He, he remembers well all of history, all of our history, all of your history, all of my history. He remembers, he remembers uh, what's, what's already happened, what things that have already been done, things that have already been, um, uh, things that have already occurred, but he also knows what's gonna happen in the future. Like you don't even know how you're gonna mess up tomorrow, <laughs> but God does. God, so like God doesn't take in information. That's part of his all-knowing. He knows it all. He doesn't learn things. He's not caught off guard by something that's going to happen tomorrow. He's not, oh, he's not surprised by anything, right? He knows what's going to happen. He knows the mistakes that we're going to make. He knows all that stuff. And he doesn't just know the things that are going to happen. He knows the way we think. He knows the way we think. He knows the desires that are in our hearts. See, his vision doesn't just see what's happening in front of him. He sees, he sees deeply into the soul even. He knows the desires that are wrong. He knows the thoughts that are wrong. And so now all of a sudden you think, oh my goodness, like I'm really in trouble, right? Because this all-knowing God, his, his standard for us to come up on the right side of his verdict, of the right side of his ruling is perfection. It's perfection in every way. Perfection in the way that we act, perfection in the way that we think, perfection in the way that we desire. And so you just like are thinking to yourself, man, like I thought about killing somebody on my way to the church this morning because traffic was so bad and they were driving five miles an hour under in the fast lane, right? Yeah. And we can talk about silly sins like that, but we could also talk about like hidden relationships, secrets that you're keeping, the way you're gossiping about people. I mean, all these different things, there's this list and the reality is that none of us are standing in front of that judge and we're not going to pull a fast one on him. His standard is perfection, and we're no, by no means going to be able to fake it in front of him. He's not just going to see us, and we're going to be like, well, yeah, hey, uh, I, I did go to church most Sundays, right? You're not going to stand before him and go, uh, hey, hey, listen, 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 hey, I did serve in the middle school ministry. Now that's got to count for something, right? Like you're not going to get away with something like that. He's not going to sit there and go, you know what, man, you're right. Like it's whatever. It's no big deal. Come on in. Like it's just not going to be what it is. And so there's this daunting, heavy reality that we have a God who's sitting as a judge on his throne and his standard for us is perfection, right? 
and what causes us to worship. As we gather today, one of the things that we gather in here and we're excited about is the fact that our God, who is that judge, is also the one who provided the payment for our mistakes. And so Jesus, being both man and God, lives in a way of absolute perfection. He doesn't, he doesn't give himself over to any sin. He who knew no sin, he didn't know any sin in the way that he acted, in the way that he thought, in the way that he behaved. Nothing about him had sin in him at all. He was perfect, but he became sin as in he took the punishment for our sin because the wages of sin are death. We know that in the Bible, right? And so he takes that punishment on the cross and he hangs there and he, and he pays our punishment. But, but what's amazing, the amazing reality is that because he didn't stay dead, because he was resurrected, because he showed the power of who he actually was, that he was God who paid that payment for us, we now have this thing that's offered to us in God's grace. And we get to say in faith, I believe in who Jesus is. I believe in what he said he did. And what that does is it imputes his righteousness, brings it over to our account. So he literally takes the righteousness of Christ and his record and it transposes it onto our record. So that now our record, even though we stand in the courtroom and we're well aware of our rap sheet, we're probably not even really aware of how long it really is. Because you're like, oh man, you got me for that too. Yeah, I forgot about that, right? <laughs> and what God sees when he looks at us is the righteousness of Christ. He sees Christ's perfection on you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it in any way. Nothing that he's looking at in you about your perfection, it's all because of Christ. It's nothing because of what you did. It's great that you came to church. It's great that you read your Bible and you stuck to your reading plan, even through Leviticus, right? Like, come on, that's a good thing. But you're not appeasing the judge by doing that. You're appeasing the judge by holding your righteousness in, in, the, in faith, in the grace extended to you by Jesus. And so this, check it out. This is the truth of our, of our gospel. We read in Philippians 3.9. We, we may be found in him not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law. That's not how you get there. You don't earn righteousness by doing these right things. You don't get your righteousness by following all these rules and doing all these things correctly. But you get your righteousness. It's by that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith. It's this faith in Christ. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that faith looks like because there are things that it looks like and there are things that faith does not look like. But that faith in Christ gives you, earns you his righteousness. Isn't that awesome? And that alone is enough for us to gather on a Sunday to come in here, to lift our hands and to sing and to worship, right? The church isn't just filled with a bunch of hypocritical people who think they're better than you. It's just filled with a bunch of people who know their sin. They know how bad and how far off they were. And they know how graciously like the righteousness of Christ was offered to us. And so we come in here and we hoop and holler and we're excited, right? But that is not even the full telling of the gospel. See, because I think we get really good at explaining the gospel through the lens of what we would call justification, Justification is what we just talked about. The imputed righteousness of Christ given to us is now, it now is our, the means by which we're justified. Or you could say by the, the means by which we're righteousfied, made righteous, made holy, made able to stand in the presence of God. That is the primary gift of the gospel is what J.I. Packer would say, famous theologian. But the ultimate gift, the highest blessing in the gospel is adoption. It's adoption. 
the fact that you don't just stand before a just judge and you're declared innocent. It's the fact that you, just, you stand before a just judge and he calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. And so check it out. I, I have three kids, right? A lot of you have probably seen them running around. They've maybe tripped one of you. For that, I am truly sorry, okay? We talk with them every week, but it just keeps happening. And ultimately, we do want them to have fun in the church. You know what I mean? That's part of our heart is we want to let them have fun in the church. So I appreciate your grace of letting them run around and almost trip some of you. But uh, I, I've talked about this before. I remember when Harper, when we first found out we were pregnant with Harper. Harper's our oldest. She's seven. She's about eight years old. Uh, we were 21, just turned 21 when we found out that we were pregnant with Harper. And I've told you guys before about how probably the biggest fear, the biggest insecurity, really you could call it, in that season of my life was realizing that I, as, as a man, as a husband, as now a dad, as the leader of my house, I felt like I didn't have a faith to extend to my daughter. That was one of the most terrifying moments for me in my, in my walk with the Lord, where I just came before him and I said, wow, I don't know if I'm really, I don't know if I've really established my life on you in a way that's going to allow me to pass this faith down a generation. And praise God, he, he met me in that feeling of insecurity. He met me in that feeling of inadequacy. And uh, man, God is good. Amen? Amen. Um, but like that wasn't the only fear I had when we first found out we were pregnant. Like that may have been the biggest one, but like we were also living in a 500 square foot apartment when we found out we were pregnant. We had an oven that was about this big. And uh, I remember you couldn't cook a frozen pizza in it without like rotating it halfway through the time. <laughs> right? Because Man, we just lived in this dumpy apartment. <clears throat> we had no money really to speak of. I was still in school. I was actually, I graduated the, the week after she was born, right? And uh, didn't know what I was going to be doing for work. Didn't know what I was going to be providing for my family. Fortunately, we got an apartment that actually had two bedrooms. So that was good. You know, the baby would have his own bedroom. But um, all, these, all these fears, right? All these questions in the pregnancy. Uh, but the moment, man, <clears throat> some of you who are dads in the room, the moment your kid is handed to you in the hospital for the first time, it's just, it's not, I'm not saying all those fears and those questions went away for forever, but for the moment when they hand you that baby all wrapped up in that little blanket and they got the new little hospital pink and blue beanie on them, right? It's just like everything just disappears for a second, right? And it's just like, I'm just immersed in this love for someone that I've never met before, Right? Never really, I mean, Harper hadn't showed me anything about herself yet. I didn't know her personality. She didn't say anything to me when she was born, right? Like, I didn't know anything about her. I just knew that she was mine. I knew that she was mine. I knew that I loved her, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's like, I, I probably should get a gun because, like, I would, I would mess anybody up who tried to mess with this girl, right? <laughs> There's just this feeling of just like, oh, my gosh, I love her. And it wasn't built on any condition, wasn't built on any condition. I just, I loved her. I, I, it didn't matter what she was going to do for me. I wasn't like waiting for the day that she was going to make me breakfast. And then I'm like, now I love you because you have done something for me, right? That's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, I love her. She can never add to or take away from my love for her. And then I'm, I, listen, I'm not a perfect dad even. Like I, I have my mistakes for sure. I have my faults for sure, but I do love her, right? And my love for her doesn't, it's not just an unconditional love for her. My, my love also has led me to do some pretty crazy things that I've never considered doing for another human in my life. So like, I, I've never really questioned gravity before until you've had a baby who's in a diaper who goes to the bathroom and, and somehow it ends up all the way up their back, <laughs> right? And you're just like, how is this even possible? <laughs> like, I just... 
physics, gravity. I'm like, maybe it's not even real. Maybe the earth is flat. Like, I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> but, I, but I'll clean it because she's hers. Or <laughs> because she's mine. And I love her. Right? And I'll sit around and wait for somebody else to clean that up. She's, that's my baby. I love her. I'll clean that up. Thank you. I don't, I don't wait for her to clean it up. Right? Uh, you really think about how pitiful it would look if she, I was like, hey, now you've made that mess. You clean that up, right? That would be way worse for everybody, you know? But so my disposition towards her is the, the relationship of a father in love with a daughter. That's the relationship your, your God is offering to you today. It's not just that of a just judge. He is that, but he's also a kind tender, loving father. And he's not waiting for you to mess, like to clean up your own mess. He's just not. He's not expecting all this different stuff from you. His love for you is unconditional. He just loves you. He's not more impressed by the things you do right. He's not least impressed by the things you do wrong. He loves you. My, man, my kids are in this season right now where it feels like we get like 17 sheets of artwork a day from them. Do you know what I mean? And like 90% of that comes from here, comes from the church. Like, Thank you, D. I love you, D. But like, goodness, we have all this artwork. And man, right as a parent, you maybe know some of that artwork comes to you and you're like, this is, uh, yeah, what is this? Tell me what this is, right? You're like, oh, it's so beautiful, I think, right? You know, and, and so, I mean, Harper's actually getting pretty good at drawing. Like sometimes she brought me a stegosaurus the other day and, and I was like, man, it's actually like a pretty good stegosaurus. Did you copy that from somewhere? She was like, no. And so she lied, but it was also very sweet. <laughs> Right? Like, there's also a really sweet thing. And I'm like, man, you're really getting good at this. But, but my love is neither won nor like lost for her based on what she does for me. That's the nature of your God towards you. Right? And so this is the doctrine of adoption. This is, and, and we, the thing is, is we have to hold both of these things. Justification, God is our judge. And adoption, God is our father. We have to hold them together. Because I have been walking, let's actually read this verse from Romans 8 real quick, just to, I'm not making this up about God being our adopted father. Here we go. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. As in, if you know God, if you've given your life over to him, you are now his son, you're her daughter. If you haven't done that, God is your creator. He's not your father. Right? So for those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word has this like intimacy connotated with it, right? It's like this, this cry out from our hearts, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we're adopted and we are pardoned judicially. We hold these two truths together. And it's important that we do because as I've been a Christian now for several years and as I've walked with people now through their faith for several years, I've led students now for a few years, there, there's a couple pitfalls that I see us falling into in this. And so let me just kind of lay out these pitfalls. But before I do, here's, here's my hope in today is that the Holy Spirit would meet you in either one of these pitfalls that you have maybe stumbled yourself into, maybe find yourself in today, or maybe today this is going to be the first time that you decide to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you put your faith and your trust in him. Because um, the pitfalls that we fall into 
if I were to kind of break it down categorically, it's those of us who look too closely at God as the judge and we miss the relational side of things. We miss the fact that God is our loving father. And so we fall onto one side of the equation, but then the other side of the equation is we, we love to just kind of think of God as this loving uh, father. We love to think of him as dad, uh, but we lack the reverence that comes with knowing him as the judge too. And so again, before I lay this out, the truth is, is found in holding the two of these truths together. We got to hold them both together. So um, let's just look at the one first. Let's look at the, uh, maybe I'll call it the legalism side of things, where, where we fall into this category where we see God primarily as judge, but we also, I mean, we would acknowledge that he's father. We'd, we'd hang out in our small groups and we'd say, oh yes, I know that God is father. Uh, but, but what I'm wanting to challenge and press in today is for those of you who, you know he's both judge and father, but you operate in a way where he's more judged than father, right? Do you know, I mean, I know some of you who know this, this is what you're feeling right now is that, that God is kind of perpetually dissatisfied with you. And man, you, 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 the more I look at this, the more this happens a lot in the kids who grew up in church, right? And they have this really maybe hyper obedience to Jesus where it's like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible because that's just what we do. I'm going to show up at church because that's just what we do. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to listen. I'm going to kind of achieve these different things. And what you need to find rest in today is that God is not in love with the future version of you. He's not in love with the version of you that has it all together, that has, these, that has this obedience rooted and grounded in a right, true, loving relationship. He's in love with you right now. He knows the mess that you have. He knows the things that you can't really do on your own. He saw that mistake and he's not disappointed. Man, he's encouraging you all the more. He's, he, come on, he's wanting to draw things out of you, right? Because there's, there's a, there's a, the whole book of Galatians really kind of deals with this point where these people who have received Christ as Savior and they, they've come to him to know him in this grace that's extended to them in a way that they're now able to operate outside of this burden of the law, right? And so check out this verse in Galatians. I think it's verse chapter five. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. What's he talking about there, that yoke of slavery? It's this idea that you can make God happier with yourself by adding to the grace that he's already extended to you by your own works. Like, God, God, aren't you pleased with me? Like, look, I showed up for children's ministry again. Aren't, aren't you happy with me, God? And God's just saying, you need to, you are submitting yourself again to this yoke of slavery that your actions can make me happier with you. It's not about that. What you need to rest in today is that your righteousness, it originated in Christ and it's sustained in Christ as well. You're not going to add to it. You're not going to make him more pleased with you because your, your record sheet's already perfect, Right? And again, like, here's what I know about you church people that have been doing this for a long time. You know exactly what I'm talking about right now is that this is easy to believe and to ascribe yourself to mentally, but it's hard to live out. It's hard to operate in. And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to pray and we're going to pray at the end of this service. We're going to beg the Lord that his Holy Spirit would break through into your heart, that you'd be able to finally receive the spirit of adoption in your heart, that God's not perpetually dissatisfied with you. He loves you. He's satisfied with you. Man, like you're, you are going to heaven, right? A lot of these people that I know in this category, you, you are going to heaven. You have received Christ as Lord and Savior. You're, you're good. Your passport is stamped. You're on your way. 
But that does not mean that you have to wait until heaven to receive this spirit of adoption right now so that you can actually begin to operate in a way that understands and knows and believes deep in your soul that God loves you, right? So that's pitfall number one that I see. And, and listen, I'm, I don't mean to like absolve myself from this. Pitfalls that I fall into too. We all fall into these at different times. But pitfall number two is somebody who has tried to accept Jesus as savior, but they've tried to bypass this whole thing of him being Lord also. You try, and, you try and accept Jesus for all of his good gifts, but you try and diminish the fact that he's also the judge who expects righteousness, right? And so how does this work? Because I want to be really careful how I tease this out because if I do it wrong, I think there's actually like some heresy involved in it. So I want to really make sure I land on it correctly, right? <clears throat> because Jesus, while he does not expect perfection of us, he still does hate sin, we have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that God hates sin. He hates it. And if you want to see just how much God hates sin, you just, all you have to do is you have to look at the cross. Because in the cross, what you see is one of the most grotesque, brutal ways for a person to be murdered. And you've got to understand that that's how Jesus was destined to die. All the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for our sin and so there should be no part of our heart that just goes, oh, well, this sin, it's no big deal. Because every moment we do that, we're just, we're continuing to add that judgment. We're heaping judgment on the person that we're calling savior, right? And so, listen, I, I, I've, I've been, like I said, I've been in this spot myself before, but there are people, there's some of you here today, and you just, you've given yourself over to sin in a way that you say it's no big deal because I know that my, my Savior's grace will keep extending to me, right? And that's what Paul writes about where he says um, that, man, what, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means should we ever say that. We absolutely should not have this attitude that just goes, well, I know that God's grace is huge and it'll cover all my sin, so I'll just keep on living in it, right? By no means, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Now, here's the careful part. Because again, God is not, God went to the cross knowing that you weren't going to be perfect ever. You're gonna keep messing things up. What this is talking about, and if we look at the other verse in Romans 8, where he says, the spirit bears witness to our spirit. What is that talking about? What that's talking about is this Holy Spirit, his job right now is to weave into your soul, weave into your heart a, a desire for obedience that comes from him. And the hard truth here, just for anybody who's here, what I feel like I have to say to you is that if you have no desire to not sin, if you are giving yourself over to a sin and you have no desire to not continue in that sin, I think it's at least possible that you're not a Christian. Right? I feel like that's just the most loving reality that I can give you today is that what you need, what the Holy Spirit, what he's gonna do when he's working inside of you the seal of a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit operating in your life. And, and what that's going to manifest itself as is at least a desire to not sin. Now, you may still give yourself over to that sin from time to time. Absolutely, we all are going to. But what's in me, every time I mess up, I at least have some sort of awareness of it and I have some sort of, God, God, would you help me not do that again? And, and this should be this disdain, this like, this want to get away from the sinful behaviors in our life. So let's be clear, is God expecting perfection? 
No, he knows we're not going to be perfect. And Jesus' righteousness covered us past, present, and future sins. That's what's awesome. But we should not, that should not in any way allow us to continue to operate with this flippant attitude towards sin. Because sin, it talks about, the Bible talks about, and James talks about, man, sin's, sin's goal is to kind of get in you. And, and as it grows and it festers and it gets in your heart, uh, when it grows and it's fully developed, what it's going to bring forth is death. That's what it's after. And so I may give myself over to those sinful desires from time to time, but it does not rule me. It does not reign in my heart. Jesus reigns in my heart. So he's going to continually help bring me over. He's going to help me repent to literally be walking in this direction towards sin. He's going to help me turn around and go the other direction towards him. And he's going to continue to refine me and make me more and more and more like him. That process is called sanctification. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Because the question that comes out of this for me, at least, is like, okay, how do I do this now, right? How do I do this? It's all what we're going to talk about next week. What are routines, rhythms, habits, things that you can establish your life upon that will help you become more and more and more like Christ throughout your life? Because that should be the desire of every Christian. I just want to be more like him. I just want to look more like Jesus at the end of the day. And so I want to, what I want to do with the remaining time that we have today is I, I want to pray for these three groups of people. The first being the people who you just feel bound by this by this. Uh, obedience, like I have to be obedient, I have to show up, I have to deliver, I have to be perfect, I have to do all these things right. And you, you are operating in a way that says God is more judge than he is father. And what I want to contend for, what I want to pray for is that the Holy Spirit would help you receive him as both. Today, right now, that this would be an established like moment for you. It'd be a kind of stake in the ground moment for you that says from today on in 2020 for the rest of my life, I want to be established in an identity that comes from Jesus as my Lord, yes, but also as my Savior who loves me. But then I also want to allow some space to pray for the people who, man, you, you are caught up in this sin. You feel like it owns you right now. And I want to ask the Lord to come and show up and, and break through your heart to put this desire because he wants to create a new desire in your heart that you would turn from this sin, that you had victory over that sin, that you would walk away from it and leave it behind you, Right? I also want to pray for the people who, man, maybe you never heard the gospel presented this way. Maybe you always thought it was just like, man, like you better purchase some fire insurance today because like hell's coming, you know, and that's what you received. Or, or maybe today you're realizing, man, I do carry all this shame, all this guilt from my past. I've never heard it before that there's a, there's a loving savior who's offering to take all of my past from me and to, and to write my whole record of wrong. So I want to allow you today, if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to give you a chance to pray today to pray for you. So I think there's biblical precedent that there are times when the spirit of God is doing something inwardly and that what we do, our, our response to that is to respond outwardly, to respond physically outwardly, right? And so what I want to do is well, uh, if that is you on, on I'm going to count to three in just a minute. And I just want you to stand up where you're at. I just want you to stand up where you're at and we're going to pray for you. And so if you feel bound by this spirit of legalism, if you have gotten yourself caught up in this just license to keep sinning, to keep doing things, you want to break free from that today, or if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I just want you to stand when I count to three. One, two, three. Would you just stand up where you're at? Church, we're going to pray for these people. Lord, we love you. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now, it's not going to be, it's not going to be 
anything that I said today, except for what was your truth, God, would your truth just penetrate into every single one of these person's hearts, wherever they're at today, God, whether they need to break free from some sort of sin, whether they need to just break free from this torment of this idea that you're not pleased with them, would you help them just, these, some of these people receive the spirit of adoption today. Would they know that they're a chosen son or daughter of yours, that you love them, that your love's not conditional. It's not based on any sense of performance. You're not measuring them against anyone else today. God, you love them. And for those caught in this spirit of treating sin like it's no big deal, God, would you just put your Holy Spirit in them to guide them, to lead them, to give them victory over temptation. You're not gonna tempt us with anything that your Holy Spirit through us isn't gonna bring us out of, God. I pray that you wouldn't just fill them now, but would you, would you pre-fill them now for the moment that they find themselves in temptation this week? God, the moment before they fail, would you just meet them? Would you speak to them? Would you remind them that you're with them, that you're for them, that you've paid for this already, God, and that you love them? God, for anyone who's standing up today and who is receiving you for the first time as their Lord and Savior, I pray that this day would mark the rest of their lives, that you, they would be filled with the presence of God, that you and your Holy Spirit would just invade every part of their heart, that you would take away any shame, any guilt, any burden from their past, God. Would you show them the righteousness that you put on them and would you empower them and sustain them to keep going into their future? Church family, would you all just stand now as we pray together? Lord, we love you. We ask for you to do a special work in us, God, that we would operate in the identity that you've called us to. Chosen sons, chosen daughters, beloved, part of your family, God, I pray that you would, that you would seal us together as, as a church family. Would we move forward in this identity together? Would you help us be conscious of and, and grabbing the people who are maybe falling behind? And would we just do this thing together? Would we just kind of press on, carry on into whatever 2020 has to hold with each other arm in arm? Help us remind each other of our identity, God, but primarily I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just touch our heart, show us who we really are in your eyes. We're not what the world calls us, God, we're what you call us. So we love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. 